Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Better Than Before. This is your master coach, Tony Richards. And welcome to 2023. Can you believe it? I mean, my gosh, we're 23 years now into the 21st century. And it just seems like yesterday that we were talking about Y2K. And since the 21st century has been going on, we already have college graduates that were born this century. Can you believe it? It's kind of crazy. Sometimes I I look up. My nephew was born very close to the beginning of the century, a couple of years after the century started. And uh, I look up and see how old he is. And he's got a career going. He just purchased his first new house. And Uncle Tony bought him a big screen TV for his new house as a Christmas gift. It's just amazing. I posted on social media the other day just something that came to me, and it was that time flies. That's the bad news. But the good news is you're the pilot of your flight. So while time is flying, you are still in control of you. You cannot control time. You cannot manage time. It's a misnomer. A mis- it's a flawed conception. Time management is a flawed conception. I don't teach it nor do I coach people on it. What I coach people on is you management. The only thing that you can effectively control and manage is yourself. You cannot manage time. It is not going to be distributed, saved, stored. So to say you saved 15 minutes is just not true. That 15 minutes went by. You did not Put it away so you can utilize it in a different place or a different day or some other doing something else. The only power you ever have is in the present moment over yourself. And so that plays into some things we're going to talk about on today's show. And I know I said last week that I was going to answer some questions that had come in, and I fully planned on doing that. But I'm going to put that off again for at least another week, maybe because there are a couple other things that have come up that I think it would be more appropriate for us to address and timely for today's show. But one of the things that I want to talk about today, and I also am going to talk to you about my thoughts about the book Thinking Fast and Slow, which I also promised that I would do that I am going to do on today's program. Then we had someone very prominent and a cultural icon pass away that I want to give some time to. But first, of course, this is when people set their New Year's resolutions. Going into a new year, 
this is the time of year where more than any other time of year, change is on people's minds. And when the calendar, orically speaking, because we use mostly digital stuff today, I guess some people still have a physical calendar maybe that they utilize. Most of the time, though, people have that stored on their phone or their tablet or something. But to say the calendar flipped over back in the days where we had physical calendars, we flipped them over from December to January. So when the calendar flips over to a new year, that is when people are most open to the idea of new things and changes in their life. Hence, that's when the practice of New Year's resolutions came into play. When people started talking about changing their life by making New Year's resolutions. And I've always been a proponent of don't set New Year's resolutions. Most people do not keep them. They last until around Valentine's Day, maybe, which is about six weeks into the year. But you're better off setting objectives. And today I want to talk about the four objectives, which maybe people use and say as resolutions, but for the purposes of having a better life and being more effective and increasing our execution, which is mainly what this podcast is about, let's say setting your New Year's objectives. And so I have a list of four that are pretty common among most people. And the first one is you want to eat healthier. That's what people Well, you know, this year I'm going to eat healthier. And it's so easy to fail in this category because junk food and fast food are quicker, easier, and cheaper and more convenient than eating healthier. And so just like anything else with execution, the best way to begin eating healthier, if this is one of your resolutions or objectives for this year, is to plan. There has become a fad. I don't know if it's going to become something that's a regular staple of our lives. Maybe it is, but you've probably heard the phrase meal prep. And so Sundays have kind of become, and for some people, Saturdays have become the meal prep day. And it may not be realistic for everyone to do a little planning ahead, but it can make running through the drive through at the fast food joint on the way home from work a little less tempting if you've got a plan and you know what you're going to do ahead of time and you're not just left to your own feelings or in the moment feeling to make the decision. You have a logical, well-thought-out plan that you've already decided in your mind this is what you're going to do. And you want to do your shopping for the week, or well, a lot of people have now begun to order from these various food services. I have one here in Columbia that I use where the food is delivered to my door once a week. So you get up in the morning, you leave for work, and you already know what you're going to be preparing for dinner in the evening. You, you've kept it simple. You've got a protein, a vegetable, and a salad maybe, and you want to have that meal that requires more prep time and more ingredients. You want to save that for the weekend where you know you have a little bit more time for cooking and creativity. Sometimes, too, you want to cook enough or have enough in your meal. You can take the leftovers maybe for your lunch the next day at work. But I think the main things are, and these are the things that it's not brain, as a friend of mine used to say, it's not rocket scientry. 
And any doctor visit that you have, especially after 35, they're going to tell you these things. Try to eliminate or cut your sugar intake down. Drink more water. When you do eat out, be very conscious about where you eat and what your choices are going to be on the menu and how to cook those things so you can give those instructions. I'm a proponent of a cheat meal. You know, every now and then you give yourself some leeway to have pizza or pie or whatever you consider to be that treat to give yourself every once in a while. My problem is I get bored. I get bored with the same food all the time. And then I want to, again, the times in my life that have been the times I've gotten in the most trouble or have created the most chaos in my life is when I've been bored and I've gone off the reservation, right? And sometimes when you're just too strict on yourself, you're going to get frustrated and you're going to fail because you're going to feel the urge to vary things up and go off the path. So if you have a cheat meal every now and then, it's going to help you cut the sugar out, drink more water. And you want to have metrics for these things too, like so many ounces of protein a day, so many ounces of water a day. Last year, I decided I was going to drink at least 100 ounces of water every day. And that really helped me. So if you were to use a bottle of water, and if a regular size bottle of water is 16.9 ounces, a larger bottle is 32 or 33 ounces, which there would be three and a half of those. If it's a regular 16.9 ounce bottle of water, it'd be six of those. So if I drink six bottles of water a day, I'm on my track for the 100 ounces a day. And I I did pretty well. I stayed hydrated. I didn't get dehydrated. Everything seemed to function better, if you know what I mean. And also, the other thing, I lost weight by drinking that water. And yeah, you're going to run to the bathroom a little bit at the beginning because your body's not used to it. And you're also, your body, if you've been dehydrated or you haven't been drinking enough water, your body has a lot of water weight stored up. And so when you begin drinking the appropriate amount of water, your body's going to shed off that excess water it's been storing up because it's going to tell itself, oh, they're giving me water now. I don't have to keep this body from dying so I can throw off this excess water I've been storing up. And that's going to cause you to go to the bathroom a little bit more. But after a week or two, that straightens out and you get back on a regular path. And then you just keep that up, right? And the best way to do it is to track it. I've always been this kind of person too. It just helps me. I developed a spreadsheet with my meals on it and what the, my meal plan was going to be. And also how much water I had a little app on my phone. So every time I had a 16 ounces of water, I clicked the, and I had little cartoon bottles of water and I just highlight the next time I finished a bottle of water, I highlight it. And it was a good way to keep score and keep me on track and make sure I was pacing myself. And if I had two in the morning and two during the middle part of the day and two in the afternoon, I had my six bottles of water completed by seven o'clock or so. Then I wasn't drinking water right up until bedtime, which is causing me to get up in the middle of the night and those kinds of things. So it's doable. And like anything else, you have to track it and manage it to make sure it all comes out like it's supposed to and not unnecessarily make it too hard for it. The second thing that a lot of people set a resolution around is getting more exercise. 
And there's a lot of reasons to get more exercise because it's going to make you overall more healthy. It's going to help you lose weight. It's going to help you with stress management. Also, you need to decide what more is. And as you get older, the best, easiest, most effective way to exercise is to walk. Again, around this, you need to set realistic goals around what your plan is going to be for exercising. Most people who decide to run out and join a gym or get a trainer or do it at a higher level because they're all energetic at the beginning of the year, full of energy, want to get on the path or whatever. And again, by five or six weeks, they're just worn out with it, tired, sore, and it just makes them want to quit. So if you don't exercise now and you haven't exercised in the past, I wouldn't expect myself to exercise five days a week and stick with it. Maybe I shoot for three days a week or two days a week. And if you're just starting out, maybe you just say, I'm going to walk 15 minutes three times a week, or I'm going to walk 20 minutes three times a week around my neighborhood or something like that. And just that, if you stick with it, will make a noticeable difference. Small beginnings can lead to big impacts, right? If you park farther away from the front door when you go shopping or when you go to work and you get in extra steps, it's amazing to me the people who want to take the exact same next parking space when they go somewhere, the one that's closest and the one that's next to the car that's parked in the handicap spot. If you park a little farther away, that's going to get you some extra steps. And once again, the software for your smartphone get a fitness tracker and set some goals for increasing your steps and your water intake. A lot of people have gone the Fitbit route that tracks that automatically. It just sits there and keeps track of your steps in a day. That can be fun, you know, if you challenge yourself every day to do more. All right. The third one is save money. A lot of people, especially right after Christmas, when they've maybe overspent on Christmas presents and gifts in the holiday season, have an overwhelming feeling of, ah, I spent too much money. I really got to get on a budget. I really got to save. And that's admirable and noble. But what's the purpose of your savings? What are you saving the money for? You need a compelling why you're doing it, right? Are you saving for a vacation, a, a, a large purchase, a down payment, to maybe saving for a new car or a house? Or you just want to save for your retirement years? So you want to design a plan. If you're saving for a trip or purchase a separate something, then you want to open a savings account that's separate, that money goes into every single week. And one of the things that worked really well for me was I opened an account at a bank that I never go to and that I didn't have a debit card for that I could just put money in there. And it wasn't if I was going to get money out of there, it was going to take some extra work to do it. And that was kind of amazing. And it worked really well. If you make it more difficult to access, you're going to increase your chances of not getting to that money on compulsion. And also in your plan, you want to find ways to eliminate unnecessary expenses. You want to pack your lunch, brew your own coffee, splurge on some flavored cream or whatever to spruce up your coffee instead of going to your coffee place. 
I don't know how much it is now. I haven't checked the prices, but I know people indulge there. I was, uh, I don't own any of the stock now, but for years I was a Starbucks investor because it wasn't illegal and it was habit forming. And every time I drove by Starbucks, there was a line at the drive-thru and I'm like, that is a place that's making money. And after doing a lot more research, they were making a lot of money. And that seemed like a good investment to me to get involved with a business where people were addicted to the product and it wasn't illegal. And it was also charging a fair amount for it. If you bought a tall coffee at Starbucks for three ninety five, dollars and you brew your coffee at home instead of going there, that's another $20 a week that you have saved. And you take that $20 and put it in your special savings account. And just over a month, you have another $100. You want to talk to your financial advisor. You want to inquire at your job if they have 401k where they match you up to 6% or something like that. But all kinds of reasons for being more diligent about your money, getting more knowledgeable about IRAs, savings bonds, government bonds are paying more now than they have in your in my lifetime. But don't forget, again, just like the losing weight or eating healthier goal, you want to budget for a little fun. And if you want to go out for coffee once in a while, just to break up the monotony and treat yourself, just do it. Just do it. But keep your everyday habit of being focused on being more diligent in the way that you allocate your money you'll do better on that particular goal. And the fourth one is, and maybe the most important one, and a lot of what this podcast is about, especially in the business world, is focusing on self-care. And we have just got to learn to take better care of ourselves. And I have learned more and more about that, and it has become way more real to me in the process of losing my father a few weeks back, in the process of having this surgery on my leg, we're just not at our best when we have something going on like that and we're tired and we're stressed and we're not the best parents. We're not the best spouses. We're not the best friends. We're not the best employees. When we're trying to pour out of an empty cup, we got to fill up our own cup first before we can draw out for others. You've got to make yourself a priority, which is what my galaxy of you is all about. You are the most important person in the world. And you need to think of yourself first, because that is going to make you a better mom. It's going to make you a better dad. It's going to make you a better husband or wife. It's going to make you a better boss. It's going to make you a better employee. If you work on yourself first, if you go to bed a little bit earlier, how can you work all day, spend time with your family, get all your household chores done, still get to bed at a decent time? Plan. Just like you make that weekly menu for your meals, just like you make that weekly plan for your exercise, just like you make that plan for your money, make the plan for yourself. Don't try to get everything done in one day. 20, 30 minutes a day of cleaning and tidying up will help you maintain an orderly house. And you can, uh, well, you don't have kids. Well, I'm just saying generally. Schedule your chores, make note of it when you see it every day on your refrigerator or in your list. And there's nothing wrong with, and I know this is the way I grew up. My brother grew up this way too. We had chores and we were in the chore plan. Now we grew up on a farm, which there's always things to do, 
But from the time I was five or six years old, I had a job and chores to do, whether it was mowing the lawn, feeding the baby cattle, taking care of the horses, making sure my room was orderly and taken care of. So there's nothing wrong with leveraging all the power, all the human capital in your household, including your husband, your wife, your kids. Everybody needs to have a role instead of you just trying to do all of this yourself. Eliminate some of your screen time before you go to bed. And this is something I have really tried to work on. And my success has been hit or miss, especially since I have been spending more time here at my home from the leg recovery. But screen time before bed can sabotage your sleep. And I recently did this, too. I bought a pair of reading glasses that had blue light protection so that my cell phone, my tablet, my computer, everything that has a screen gives off blue light, which increases your cortisol in your brain, which will keep you from releasing melatonin, which is the chemical you need to sleep. Sometimes people take melatonin for a vitamin to help them sleep before bedtime. But cortisol also stores fat in your body. So you need to allow your body to get sleepy. If you spend an inordinate amount of time before bedtime on a computer or watching TV or with your tablet or your cell phone, that's going to increase the cortisol, which means that while you're sleeping, you're also storing fat. So if that's a little bit of an incentive for you, then so be it. I set a little alarm on my phone that says time to give up the screen before bed. Try Maybe try 30 minutes, 45 minutes before going to bed. What are your goals for the new year? I think if you use some strategy planning and some execution planning, you can realistically achieve some objectives instead of making resolutions that you're off of by five or six weeks. And I want to wish you the best for your 2023 and setting your goals for this year. I want you to have a great year this year. I told you at the end of 2023, I was journaling for the last couple of weeks. Here's what I want to leave behind in 2022 and not carry over into 2023. Well, now here we are. We've crossed over And I have emotionally and mentally dropped some bags back there in last year that I am not carrying forward into this year. It's a trip where I have cut down on my baggage. I am never going to, you know, imagine taking a trip somewhere and you've probably overpacked before where you went on a trip and you had things you never used, you never wore, you never took out of the bag. And you're like, boy, I really overpacked. Same kind of concept. Do not overpack for this year. Do not carry bags that you don't need or want in this coming year. Drop them last year or drop them now while we're only two or three days into the new year. All right. The other thing, and this is probably what sort of kept me from answering the questions, is we lost a television icon last Thursday, Barbara Walters. And I'm not talking about if you like her, you didn't like her or whatever. I mean, every person that has any prominence anywhere, some people love them. Some people don't like them. Some people could care less. But Barbara Walters was a television catalyst for change. I can remember, of course, I didn't know any different. So in my generation, when I was about, 
I don't know, less than 10, Barbara Walters became a co-host on the Today Show. And my grandmother started her day. I stayed with her a lot. My mom had a job. So my days were spent at my grandmother's house. She kept me when I wasn't in school. The big television station that was close to our hometown was the NBC affiliate. So they watched that station more than ABC or CBS. And Barbara Walters was a co-anchor of the Today Show there in 1974, 75. So I never knew any different. But there was an entire generation that had television anchors that were only men. Barbara Walters changed the landscape of that for women by being a television anchor both in like the Today Show, but also in newscasts. And that was revolutionary for the time. I mean, today that women are everywhere. We have so many more news outlets and channels than we did back in the 70s. We had primarily three. The Fox Network did not come along until the mid to late 80s. And so in the 70s, You had the three main network television networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS, and you had all males. And one of the first stories that Barbara Walters covered as a news reporter, and of course this was in the early 60s, was the funeral of John F. Kennedy. And that was groundbreaking because you didn't see women covering news stories, especially the most prominent, most important news stories, were not covered by women. And the other thing I think is interesting, too, is that NBC had tried a couple of news anchors that were women on the Today Show before Barbara Walters, and it didn't really work out. One of the people, there were four women they tried before Barbara Walters, but two of them I think you might recognize. I know one of them you will for sure. But the first one that they tried was Florence Henderson. And she later in the 70s became famous, of course, by being the mom on the Brady Bunch. She was Carol Brady. But Florence Henderson was tried as an anchor that didn't work out on Today Show. They also tried Helen O'Connell. They also tried Estelle Parsons, and then they also tried Lee Merriweather. Lee Merriweather became a television star. One of her most famous roles was as the secretary on the show Barnaby Jones for Buddy Ebsen. Jed Clampett, who had an action television series called Barnaby Jones and Lee Merriweather. Lee Merriweather also played the Catwoman in the Batman movie in the mid-60s, before it became a television show. Julie Newmar, of course, was Catwoman in the show, and so was Eartha Kitt. But in the Batman movie, Lee Merriweather was Catwoman, and she had been a Miss America before. And they thought, for sure, that would work, but it didn't work out either. And then Barbara Walters was called on. She was a researcher and writer. Then she became a reporter. Then she became something called the Today Girl, where she did human interest stories and funny, fun stories on the program. But then she became a co-host in the Today Show. And she had a great relationship with Hugh Downs, but Frank McGee, she did not have that great a relationship with. And she would have 
some contentious relationships with male newscasters for a lot of years who did not appreciate being on the program with her. In 1976, she was given a million-dollar contract to be a co-anchor on the ABC Evening News, and her co-anchor at that time was Harry Reasoner. And he was not happy at all about her being there. He wanted to be the solo spotlight. He wanted to be the only one on the set doing the news and was not happy about getting a co-anchor and especially not happy that he was getting Barbara Walters. And she went from there to a show the ABC had called 2020. And then um, she interviewed people over the next 30 years the most famous people in the world. And uh, she had a bit of a speech impediment. And Gilda Radner, of course, made fun of her on Saturday Night Live with her Barbara Wawa character. You know you're a cultural icon if you make Saturday Night Live. I mean, if Saturday Night Live is going to give a segment, a regular segment that is dedicated to making fun of you, you're pretty much an icon in culture for that to happen. Otherwise, why spend time on it and it wouldn't be funny. But I think one of the most touching things, and if you saw any of the, uh, and of course, Barbara went on to be the primary figure over the launching of the show, The View, which was all female hosted. But if you saw any of the dedication stories, any of the, news programs where they were paying tribute to Barbara. You saw the show where all the female news anchors that came after her, a huge line of everyone from Joan London to Connie Chung to all these female news anchors that they said they stood on the shoulders of a giant like Barbara Walters came out to give her a hug and a kiss on the cheek and to pay homage to her for blazing the trail in news. And so we lost Barbara Walters last Thursday, December 30th, 2022, and she was 93 years old. And uh, Barbara, I salute you and pay homage to you in my own special way here on the program for everything that you did for us culturally and for women, especially in an industry that I made my living in broadcasting for many, many years. And you deserve every accolade you get. You will be missed. All right. I talked to you last time and gave a little brief overview about a book that I read last month called Thinking Fast and Slow. And the book is written by Daniel Kahneman. As a friend of mine used to say all the time, they don't give out that award like a slice of pizza. And in this particular case, it's the Nobel Prize for Economics. And Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for Economics. And he wrote this book in 2011. And you would have thought that such an influential and important book, I would have read it by now, given my reading habit. But it's been on my list. And it's one of those books I just kept putting off and putting off and putting off. But it's got so much to do with my work and coaching and how humans think and how they behave that I'm really surprised at myself that it took me this long to read it. But I'll give you a brief summary of thinking fast and slow. Essentially in the book, Daniel Kahneman shows how two systems in your brain are constantly fighting over control of your behavior and your actions. And also it teaches you the many ways which this leads to error. 
especially in memory, when people recount things that they remember, it's not always exactly how it happened. Our memories are not that good to remember specific details. It kind of depends on how many times you tell that memory. If you've told that memory over and over and over and over for years, and you've stayed pretty close to what actually happened, that helps enhance it and keep it around. But if that's been sporadic and you haven't talked about it in a long time, then the details get sketchy, right? And hardly anyone has the detail in memory that we think we do. The other thing that the book talks about is how we make errors in judgment and in our decisions, and also what we can do about it and how it can make us better evaluators and decision makers. So again, it deals with two systems in our brain, system one and system two. Here's three good reasons. If I haven't told you yet, if I haven't given you compelling reason in my summary of why you should read this book, here's three good reasons you should. Number one, your behavior is determined by two systems in your brain. One of them is conscious and the other is automatic, just does things automatically. Number two, your brain is basically lazy. And it keeps you from using the full power of what your brain is really designed and your full potential of what your intelligence really is. And number three, when you're making decisions about money or something important, you need to put your emotions on hold. And that's really difficult to do. And the book talks about how you do that and how you access the appropriate system in your brain to get that done. So, it's a field trip through the brain, how it functions, what you can do about it. And let's start with lesson number one. Lesson number one that I got from this book is your behavior is determined by two systems, one conscious and the other automatic. So system one is automatic and impulsive. So it's the system you use when someone sketchy enters the train and you instinctively turn toward the door and turn away from them. Or what makes you eat the whole bag of chips in front of the TV when you just wanted to have a small bowl or one or two chips? System one is a remnant from our past, and it's crucial to our survival. Not having to think before jumping away from a car when it honks at you is quite useful. System two is very conscious, very in the moment, very aware, and very considerate. It helps you exert self-control and deliberately focuses your attention. System two is at work when you're meeting a friend and you're trying to find them in a huge crowd of people, and it helps you recall how they look, and it filters out everybody else. System two is one of the more recent additions to our brain and only a few thousand years old. It's what helps us succeed in today's world, where our priorities have shifted from gathering food and shelter to earning money, supporting a family, and making a lot of complex decisions. However, these two systems, system one and system two, don't just perfectly alternate or work together all the time. They're often in a struggle and a fight over who is going to be in charge of you at any given time, and this conflict determines how you are going to act and behave. Lesson two, your brain is lazy and causes you to make errors. Here's an easy trick to show you how this two-system conflict affects you. And it's called the bat and ball problem. So a baseball bat and a baseball cost a dollar ten. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Got it? 
If your instant initial answer is 10 cents, I'm sorry to tell you system one just tricked you. So do the math again. A baseball bat and a ball cost a dollar ten. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Now, if you spend a minute or two actually thinking about it, you'll know that the ball must cost a nickel. Then if the bat costs a dollar more, it comes out to a dollar five, which combined gives you a dollar ten. What happened? Well, when system one faces a tough problem it can't solve, it'll call system two into action to work out the details. But sometimes your brain perceives problems as simpler as they actually are. System one thinks it can handle it, even though it really can't handle it, and you end up making a mistake. So why does your brain do this? Well, just as with habits, it wants to save energy. The law of least effort says that your brain uses the minimum amount of energy for each task it can get away with. So when it seems system one can handle things, it won't activate system two. In this case, though, it leads you to not use all your IQ points, even though you actually need to. So our brain is actually limiting our intelligence by being lazy and taking the path of least resistance. Lesson three, when you're making decisions about money, or other interesting and crucial things, leave your emotions at home. Milton Friedman, whose research about economics built the foundation of today's work in the field, and eventually we come to grips with the fact that the homo e economicus, the man or woman who only acts based on rational thinking, which was first introduced by John Stuart Mill, doesn't quite resemble us. Imagine these two scenarios. Number one, you're given $1,000. Then you have the choice between receiving another fixed $500 or taking a 50% gamble to win another $1,000. Situation two, you're given $2,000. Then you have the choice between losing $500 fixed or taking a gamble with a 50% chance of losing another $1,000. Which choice would you make for each one? Well, if you're like most people, you'd rather take the safe $500 in scenario one, but the gamble in scenario two. Yet the odds of ending up at $1,000, $1,500, or $2,000 are exactly the same in both. The reason that you would choose the way you did has to do with something we call loss aversion. Loss aversion is that we are more afraid to lose what we already have as we are keen on getting more. We also perceive value based on reference points. Starting at $2,000 makes us think we're in a better starting position, which makes you want to protect that. Lastly, we get less sensitive about money. This is called diminishing sensitivity principle, the more money we have. The loss of $500 when you have $2,000 seems smaller than the gain of $500 when you only have $1,000, so you're more likely to take a risk. So being aware of these things and just knowing your emotions try to confuse you when it's time to talk money will help you make better decisions. So when you try to consider statistics, probability, and the odds are in your favor, then act accordingly. Don't let emotions get in the way where they have no business being involved in the decision at all. After all, rule number one for any good poker player is leave your emotions at home. 
Daniel Kahneman's thinking and thinking fast or slow reminds us a bit of Nassim Taleb's anti-fragile. Very scientific. It's all backed up with math and facts, but it's also very simple to understand. I highly recommend this book. It's fantastic. A couple other just random things that I'm going to tell you about, but I'm not going to explain them to you. So just other compelling reasons to read this book is primacy. And you learn how priming your brain can make you walk slower just because you read the word Florida. Now, that's got to interest you, right? How can just reading the word Florida make you walk slower? Well, he goes into it. What the halo effect is and how it makes you judge people the wrong way. Why the substitution heuristic might make you vote for Hillary Clinton, even though all you know is what she looks like. What base rate neglect is and how it can ruin a wonderful streak. The consequences of duration neglect and the peak end rule. How you can use cognitive strain to remember things better. You will learn what the Mr. Jones experiment can teach you about statistics. And finally, why cognitive coherence might trick you into wearing shorts on a really cold day. This book, Thinking Fast and Slow, I couldn't recommend any higher. And again, it was written in 2011. I'm really surprised I haven't read it till now, but I'm glad that I finally did read it. It reminded me of some things I already knew and had put into practice, but it also taught me some new things that I definitely can use with clients and even more importantly, that I can use on myself because like all of you, I have to make human being decisions just like everybody else. And I want to make the best decisions possible because we only have one life and you only have so many days. And when you spend a day, you've spent something expensive. You don't get a do-over. All right. One quick principle and one quick quote, and we'll get out of here and end the show and let you get on with your day. The principle I want to share with you is this. The longer I avoid a problem, the bigger the problem generally becomes. If I will summon the courage to endure small amount of pain and do what's right now, I will avoid larger doses of pain later on as the problem has increased. That's the principle for today. And the quote is by Kenji Mirazawa. And he said, we have to embrace pain and burn it as fuel for our journey to where we want to go. Well, that's our show today, Better Than Before on the C-Suite Radio Network. Thank you for joining me again this week. And again, welcome to 2023. Special thanks, as always, to our super producer, Tessa Hall, that puts these shows together every week. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and join my free Facebook page, Tony Richards Speaker, Author, Coach. Until we visit again next week, I hope all your dreams come true, and I hope you make all your New Year's objectives. I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.